Is anybody else excited about the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I know you are. I know you are. Amen. I, I, um, I feel led of the Spirit to turn our attention once again uh, back to the biblical command and the biblical reward and show the biblical importance of loving one another. Loving one another. Amen. Loving one another. Why don't, you, why don't you just kind of turn to two or three and just tell them, we need to love one another. I think it's important that we understand that God is, God is talking to us about this for a purpose, for a reason. Amen. And um, I have felt for a month or two that uh, just some stuff in the church, not bad, not horrible, but just, just some stuff. And, uh, and I believe that uh, if we could really truly get revelation of the importance of loving one another, I believe all that will be fixed. We can move forward faster in the things of God. Somebody said amen. And so I, 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 want, to, I want to begin with a question that I ask to all of us last week, and that question is this. When we look around this room, do we see people that we are merely acquaintances with, or do we see people that we love? When you look across the room, what do you see? Do you truly see people, individuals that you love, or is it just a gathering of people that you show up with uh, on Thursdays and Sunday and worship the Lord together? Do we see people that we just attend church with or do we see people that we love? How many know it's important that we see those that we love? Amen. Not just acquaintances, but we should see all, all as those that we love. I take you to the word of the Lord in order to see what the book has to say on this, this topic of love. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10 in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God. So if you don't live righteously, you're not of God, right? Then it says, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now that's pretty plain. It's telling us that if we are, if we are living unrighteously, we're not of God. We know that, right? That's, that's, uh, we would agree with that. If we're living sinfully, we can't be of God. If we're living ungodly and contrary to the word of the Lord, then we cannot be of God. But the Bible then goes on to say, but it's not just those that are living unrighteously that are not of God, but those that do not love their brother are not of God. Now that's a whole different deal now. Because how I many know sometimes we categorize stuff? You want to talk about stealing? They're not of God. You want to talk about doing whatever? They're not of God. Well, just, you know, we start talking about loving one another, and it's like, well, come on now. We start justifying stuff, and right? So this, I, just, I just have to think that the word of the Lord is putting our lack of love towards, potentially our lack of love towards one another on the same level as sin. 
Is it not? So I think this is a pretty important topic. It's not just kind of a character issue or, you know, a little character flaw. But I think this is a pretty important topic if the Lord would say, hey, this is, this is on the same level as sin and unrighteousness if you don't love your brother. Oh, hallelujah. So last week we were, we were confronted, all of us were confronted a little bit with the, with the love test that we found in Scripture. Where we can, I mean, no, we can think that we love one another. When in reality, we might not have the kind of love that we are biblically supposed to have. I mean, no, it doesn't matter that we love one another based upon our standard of love. That doesn't matter. We're not going to be judged based upon our standard of love because how many know everybody's standard of love is going to be different? How you were raised. Your understanding of love is going to be uh, different. Your circumstances of life, things that happened to you, things that were done to you, things that you experienced. And so it's not about our standard of love. It's about a biblical standard of love. So if the Lord is instructing us that we need to love one another, it's not based upon what I consider to be love and what you consider to be love because those could vary and those could be far different for each and every one of us. But if this love thing is as important as the word of the Lord says that it is, then I just believe that he was specific in his word about what the standard of love should be. So as to take it out of our uh, mind and our ability to comprehend what love looks like, I, I, I think he uh, put it in his word specifically and clearly what this love's Love is supposed to look like. And so I, I don't want to just think I have love when I don't really have it. If it's this important where he puts it on the same level as sin and unrighteousness, I don't want to play around with that. So I don't want to just think I've got it if I don't really have it. And make myself think I'm doing all right when maybe I'm living less than the love that I'm supposed to have and supposed to Show. And so it is that God did. He did not just leave it up to our own abilities to gauge the standard for what love is and give definition personally for what love is, but he gave us a standard and he gave us an understanding and he gave us a, a, a checklist and a test, so to speak, of what love is according to him. And it is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And so we read this last week. We just kind of did a quick read down through it, made a couple of points from it. But, but as I was reading this text last week in, in your hearing, I, I realized that there were a few things uh, in that passage of Scripture, characteristics of having a real, genuine, biblical love one to another that even as I was reading down through there, there was a couple of things that I read that I was like, ah, I don't know that I fully understand what that means. And so it's just kind of been sticking with me here these last several days. And, and uh, if, if this is as important as the word of the Lord says it is, then I want to know what that stuff means. Right? 
I want to know exactly what the word of the Lord is trying to show us and what this test is. I want to, I want to know what those characteristics look like so I can uh, do my best with God's help to exemplify those things in my life every day that I live. And so I want us to go back now to this uh, this passage in 1 Corinthians, and I want us to dig uh, a little deeper into these verses and into these characteristics, into this love test, so as to make sure that you and I all understand completely what it is saying to us. Is that going to be all right? God's going to help us, and obviously there's, uh, there's so much more to this that we could discuss, and I would encourage you to study out even more on your own time but we're, we're going to just kind of hit some highlights here and have the Lord help us and speak to us. And so I turn your attention this evening to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, starting with the first verse. 13th chapter, verse 1 of the book of 1 Corinthians. The word of the Lord speaks to us and it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. Now, as we kind of work our way down through this, I'll read to you the King James Version, but then I also want to read to you the English Standard Version just uh, to maybe give a little bit more insight into it. And the English Standard Version says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, in order to understand uh, exactly what Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth, we have to understand, uh, go back all the way to the Old Testament, the beginning of the Old Testament, when mankind, after the flood, they tried to build this great big tower, the Tower of Babel, up to the heavens so that if rain ever came again, that they would not all drown and they would not all die. And so this was not something that God wanted. This was not something that was pleasing to them, to him, because it was in their own uh, human abilities that they were trying to save themselves instead of serving the one who could save them. And so it was that he, he uh, the Bible says that they were all together. It's a great uh, illustration on unity and the power of unity. That if people can be unified to accomplish something that is anti-Christ, what can we do unified together to build that which is for Christ? Amen. And so it is that, that uh, as they're building, they're all unified together, building this great tower that was against the purpose and the plan of God. And so what God did is he comes down, and the Bible says he confounded their language. And what that means is, is that all of a sudden, at that time, everybody spoke the same language. There was just one language in the world, and that's the way it probably would have continued. But on that time, he confounded their language and people started speaking different languages. It was the judgment of God upon them. And it was because of that that they got to work the next day and, you know, these people spoke whatever and these people spoke whatever and now they can't communicate and so now they can't build the thing because there's no communication. So if you ever kind of wondered where different languages came from, now you know. Little, little history lesson there. And so it is that what Paul is talking here to, about, to us about in 1 Corinthians is that it, is, it was believed by the Jews at the time of this writing that after the Lord confounded their language, it was believed that there were 70 different languages that were spoken across the then known world at the time of Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. 70 different languages. 
And they also believed, the Jews would believe, that there was uh, some form of a heavenly, supernatural language that the angels spoke. And that if one could ever, somehow, some way, ever learn this language of the angels, that they would be able to be enlightened beyond all imagination. They would be able to know that which was in the supernatural, the angelic hosts, and they'd be able to understand clearly all of that. Now, this is just what they believed. And so here was Paul, and he's riding under the anointing of the Holy Ghost in the direction of the Holy Ghost, and he says, if I could speak all 70 of the then known languages, as well as knowing this language that we've talked about that the angels speak. He said, if I could speak all 70 of the human languages and the angels' language, but I don't have love, he said, all I would be doing is making noise. It didn't matter how eloquent one might have been. If they did not have love, it was as if they were making senseless noise with their speech. He likened it to a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. For just like those instruments had the potential of being used to benefit the whole and to make the entire sound good, and just as those gongs and cymbals had the ability to be used to create the proper atmosphere and the proper tone and the proper intended outcome, I mean, no, we also have the ability with our speech to benefit the whole and to create that which is good and pleasant within the body of Christ. We have that ability with how we speak and what we say, but without love. Come on, Jesus. But without love, we're just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal that does not produce anything pleasant at all. It only irritates. Have you ever had your kids get a, you know, something for Christmas or some sort of something? And they just walk around the room with no other context other than just gong, gong, gong. You don't sit in your chair like, oh, that is so harmonious. That sounds so beautiful. Oh, it irritates the fire out of you. It's a gang, uh, 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 this, this noisy gong, this clanging cymbal. It just irritates people. <laughs> it agitates people. Without love, anything that we think is of value, worth, or goodness that we allow to leave our lips will only be heard as nothing but an irritating noise. We think it's value. We think it's worth. We think we're going to help somebody here, but we don't have love. And because we don't have love, it only irritates the hearer. Because love is the power behind godly speech. And if love is absent, though one might have the greatest of eloquence 
And they may say things wonderfully. And the words they use are put together so perfectly. What will be heard is just... Noise. The old saying is this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People that know a lot of stuff but don't have love won't go around talking about everything that they know but they don't have any love and so these people are like, all I hear is noise because there's no love from you to me. Somebody said amen. So, Here we go. Verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries. Now just kind of think about all this. Give give me your mind here. Really think about what Paul is talking to the church about now. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all all knowledge. Not some, not a part. But he said, if I were to have all knowledge and though I have, uh, have all faith so that I can remove mountains... But have not love, I'm nothing. The ESV says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Though I've received from God, then listen, this is what he's, he's saying. Though someone for whatever reason, has received, and, it's, and he's, he's illustrating here now. It's, didn't actually, it wasn't him, obviously, but he's just making a point. If someone were to have received from the Lord the knowledge of all future events, every future event that would ever happen so that he could correctly foretell what was coming in the world, and what was coming to the church. You would think that that kind of individual, he'd be kind of nice to have around. He could have told me about Bitcoin a long time ago. <laughs> Some of you don't even know what Bitcoin is. Right? You would think, you would think, man, this guy, he'd be nice to have around. He knows it all. And though I might be able to understand all mysteries, not some mysteries, all mysteries, to have all knowledge, this individual to have all knowledge of all unexplored secrets of nature and of man and of science and of art and of future, and and though I have such miraculous faith as to be able to remove mountains, And some say that he's talking about, you know, actual mountains, and some say he's talking about major problems, major insurmountable problems that his faith could remove every major insurmountable problem that nobody else knows what to do with. This individual's faith would have the ability to remove it or have such powerful discernment in the sacred things that I could solve the greatest difficulties that the church could ever face, the family of God could ever face. He said, in the sight of God, if I had all of that stuff, but I didn't have love, he said, in the sight of God and in the sight of mankind, 
I would be viewed as nothing. See what Paul's doing here. He's trying to show you. He's trying to set this up to show you. Can you think of an individual who would possess those great of spiritual power, that great of faith, that great of enlightenment, spiritual enlightenment, to know all mysteries and all this kind of stuff. And we might would say to that individual and put them up and say, man, look at how great they are. But Paul said, I want you to know something. With the ability to do all of those things, if they do not love, he said, they're nothing. Nothing. Great knowledge, great wisdom, great abilities, great intelligence, great potential, but considered to be nothing because they didn't have love. It's possible to possess great faith but be a non-entity because spirituality without love accomplishes nothing. Nothing. To have the kind of faith to remove mountains, you got to be a little bit spiritual. But Paul said he's nothing. Nothing in the, in the mind of God, the viewpoint of God, the viewpoint of the church. Why? Because there's love is not there. Somebody said Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. ESV says, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. If I give all my money to those in need, if I give all my money to feed the poor and house the homeless, and if I willingly become a martyr for my Christian beliefs, now watch this, those things will affect my belongings because I've given it all away, and it will affect my body because I willingly gave it to be a martyr for the Christian faith, but it does not affect my heart where love dwells. Because you can give everything away and be a martyr for Christian faith, but not have love. We can give to the different needs, but not be blessed in return or looked favorably upon from heaven, even though that's not why we do it. But we can simply because we gave for other reasons other than love. Come on now. We give for reasons other than love. Maybe to be seen, to be noticed, to be looked at, as somebody or something. He says, you can, you can give all your money. Give it all away. He says, it's not going to accomplish anything because you haven't done it with love. It's not the belongings. It's not the money. It's not the sacrifice that God is looking for. Hear me very carefully. 
because it is not, the value is not in what's being given. The value is not what is being sacrificed. The value is in the reason that it was given. The value is in the reason it was sacrificed. That's where the value is. The value is not the $100. The value is not the sacrifice of our fleshly bodies for the work of the Lord. That's not where the value is. The value lies in why we do those things. Why we give those things. Why we make those sacrifices. That's where the value is. Oh, hallelujah. So, yeah, you work hard for the kingdom. Yeah, you do things on Sunday. Yeah, you sacrifice and you do stuff other people don't do. That's great and that's wonderful, whatever. But if you're just, if that's, you're just doing it to do it so other people will see you or so you can tell other people how much you do for the kingdom. There's no value in you just doing more for the kingdom. There's no value in that. There's, there's no, God isn't blessed by that. God isn't honored by that. And God doesn't have to bless that in return. It's why you do that. Oh, hallelujah. Because how many know when the basis for your sacrifice is love, most of the time it don't feel like sacrifice. Come on, that was good. When your basis for sacrifice is love, most of the time it doesn't look like sacrifice. It doesn't feel like sacrifice. It's love. I'm doing it because I love. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I willingly gave that money. I willingly gave this, that, or the other. I willingly sacrificed this, that, or the other. Yeah, it's, you know, it's going to take a bite out of my bank account or you know whatever but I willingly have done that why love love propelled me love pushed me love motivated me my love for God my love for the church my love for the kingdom it motivated me to give to sacrifice oh hallelujah there's where the value is there's the value Thank you, Lord. So we understand that from this somewhat of a negative paragraph that we've just read, these few verses, we, we can also uh, consequently and conversely see the positive from this. That when love is the motive. See, Paul was talking about you doing stuff because you don't have love. But the opposite has to be true, right? When love is the motive, then every cause and every, everything we do then has great value attached to it. It then becomes and then has extreme worth attached to it. And it then becomes of great spiritual importance. Paul was saying if you don't have love, there's no spiritual importance at all attached to it. But conversely, if you do have love, there is tremendous spiritual importance attached to it. 
If love is the motive of our speech, if love is the motive for the foretelling of the will of God on earth, if love is that which investigates the mysteries in order to understand, if love is the power of faith, in faith, if love lies behind the act of everything we ever give and everything we ever sacrifice for the kingdom, if love is the motivating factor for all of that, then these things become of great value to the kingdom. These things become of great worth in the local church. Oh, hallelujah. But the foundation has to be love. Love. Because the the value is not in what was accomplished, but in the love that motivated the accomplishment. Oh, hallelujah. It's all about the love. So as we continue reading our text, we see that Paul, Paul now, he begins to deal with some of the characteristics of love. True, biblical, godly love of what this is supposed to look like. He says, if you don't have it, there's no value. There's no value. So it's almost like people are like, okay, I want to make sure I have it. So what does it look like? What are the characteristics of love? I want to make sure I, I know what it is and that it's ex- being exemplified in my life. And so Paul begins to describe what true biblical godly love looks like. And he begins by saying this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Charity or love suffereth long. And is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. English Standard Version says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Love is patient. Let's just look at that for a minute. Love is patient and love is kind. True love will cause us to become as long-suffering towards others as we want others to be towards us. How many, it's amazing to me how long-suffering we want other people to be with us, but how quick we are. We're not careful, and if we don't have love, we want other people to love us to the nth degree to the nth mistake, right? But then do we reciprocate that same love to others? Well, I give them a second chance because I want to be (laughs) long-suffering. But we need to realize that when we put a limit on how far our grace will extend, then we've just made it known that we don't really have love. What are you talking about? I gave him a second chance. That's my point. You gave him two chances. Am I making any sense? You put a limit on your mercy. You put a limit on, well, I was being long-suffering. No, you weren't. This is this lets us know that we probably don't have the kind of love that we're supposed to have if we put a limit. Oh, hallelujah. But it also says that love is kind. Love is kind. 
How many know that it's possible to be long-suffering and unkind about it? Come on now. How many know the, the woman caught in adultery? They bring her up to the temple and you got all these, these people around her and they all got stones in their hands and they're about to stone her. She committed adultery. It was a an offense in the Old Testament worthy of death. And so they're, they got their, the rocks back and they're about to throw and Jesus steps up and he says, go ahead, you without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And it's amazing to me that they all dropped their stones and then they turn their backs on her and walk away. Were they long-suffering? They didn't stone her. Did she deserve to be stoned? Yep. Did she deserve to die by the law? Yes. They were long-suffering, but then they turned their backs on her and walked away. They were long-suffering and merciful enough to her to not stone her, but then they didn't show her any kindness either. You see, the love of God would desire for you and I, the kind of love that we're supposed to have is a love that is exemplified by showing great kindness to those that we're also being long-suffering towards. I'm watching you. Come on now, we do it. If we're not careful and if we're not walking in love. Well, I see, I, I'm watching, I'm watching you. I'm watching, you better not make, I'm giving you grace, but you better not. Right? It's long suffering. We didn't kick them out, we didn't kick them down. We didn't throw stones at them or nothing. But we're also not being kind. To them. And he said, I want you to be long-suffering and kind. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Is this all right tonight? True love in the body of Christ is exemplified by all in the body rejoicing in all others in the body. Why? Because there is an understanding within us that we are all a part and members of the one same body. We do not envy, it says. We do not envy one another because of what God has given to them. Because what God gave, hear me now, because what God gave them was necessary in order to carry out the particular member that he's called them to do. The pinky finger doesn't need the muscles that the leg needs. What if the pinky said, well, I'm jealous. I want the kind of muscles that the leg has. Why does he get all the muscles for? I don't get anything. Come on now. Right? How silly would that be? But how many know what happens in the body of Christ? 
Why do they get that for? Envious, envious, envious. Why did they get that? Why do they have that? Why do this, that, and the other? I'll tell you why they got it. Because they need it for the one particular place in the body that they fulfill. You don't operate in that place. You operate in a different place. You got stuff other people don't have. So let us, let us not be envious of one another. Let us rejoice in what one another has. Because we all understand or should understand that because they have what they have, it makes this one body that we are a part of that much more healthy. Oh, hallelujah. And capable of accomplishing what the body of Christ is supposed to accomplish. Hallelujah. The love we're to have one for another is should never be grieved because someone else has a possession we don't have. An intellect we don't have. A spiritual blessing we don't have. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. I wish I would have learned this. I knew it. I wish I would have learned it. I was taught it, I wish I would have listened earlier than what I did. Because I think the first part of my ministry would have been a little different. Because in the first part of my ministry, maybe it was because, I mean, we're talking, you know, some years ago now. Maybe there was some, you know, I would look at some of these guys, Brother Ron, and I would, man, you know, I just, I'd, I'd see some of these things that they had. And, I, and sometimes I'd have to, you know, pray a little bit and repent a little bit. For some of the feelings I had, why does he have that? Why does he get this? And why does he get that? This door is open and he's got this ability and blah, 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 blah. And I wish I would have, I wish I would have had uh, the understanding that I have now concerning the body of Christ. Because it's so important now that when we see individuals operating successfully in their role, it benefits the whole. There's, there's a bunch of stuff I'm not good at. <laughs> I'm, I'm not looking at my wife right now. There's, there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, now I'm talking about spiritual stuff and ministry stuff. There's, there's a bunch of stuff that God hasn't called me to do in ministry. Right? I'm, I'm not gifted in, in, in some areas. There are, there are some guys in particular areas of ministry, man, they're just uber gifted, and I just don't have it, that particular thing. But, buddy, you put me where I'm supposed to be, and I don't want nobody else in that place. Not because I'm selfish, but because I feel so confident and comfortable in that particular area, and because that's what God's called me to do. And when I celebrate and esteem others, in their particular role, and they esteem and celebrate me in my particular role, it's, it's not a competition. Because, listen, if your body, your physical body right there, if it ever gets in competition with itself, there's something wrong with it. If your body starts fighting itself, there's something unhealthy. And when the body of Christ starts fighting itself, 
There's something wrong with it. Why? Because all members are supposed to esteem all other members of the body knowing that that member is doing what God's called it to do. And God gave them the giftings and the talents in order to accomplish that particular thing. So I'm not going to be envious of it. I'm going to love them as part of the body and I'm going to celebrate them and celebrate what they have. Celebrate what they've been given. Oh, hallelujah. You know, people that are, people that are always envious, now we're not even talking spirit, uh, ministry stuff. Now we're just talking, you know, earthly stuff. People that are always envious of other people's, maybe their, 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 their finances. They're blessed. God's blessed them. Number one, they had to be doing some right things to be blessed. You can't be a thief and be blessed by God. He said, what are, you, what are you talking about, robbing banks? No, I'm talking about not paying your tithes and offerings. You're a thief, according to the word of the Lord. So you can't be a thief and have the blessings of the Lord upon you. So these individuals are doing right things, and so the Lord blesses them financially. But it's amazing to me, the people who are always envious of those, those kind of people that are blessed financially, the people that are always envy, envious are never the ones that get blessed. Never. Because you can't be envious of something and be blessed with the same something. Probably because you want it too bad. I'm not in my notes at all. Could it be because the Lord knows how bad you want it? That you would become envious of people who have it? Instead of loving them enough to celebrate the blessings of the Lord upon them, you don't use it as a time to celebrate. You look at it as a time of envious you're so envious of it because you want it so badly. And so the Lord said, I ain't going to give you that to you. How could I bless you with something you're going to be envious of in order to get? Yeah, that's good. So we don't envy one another for what, for what God has given others. We celebrate that. We love them. We love them. Thank God for the blessings. Thank God for the blessings on your home. Thank God for the blessings in your family. Thank God for the blessings on your finances. Thank God for the blessings in your ministry. If God uses somebody in the, in the church and, you know, whatever, man, go up to them. Let them know. I'm, I'm, I celebrate that today. God used you today. God used you mightily in the kingdom today. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being used by God. Thank you for stepping out in faith. That was wonderful. God bless you for that. Celebrate it sincerely. Why? Because what they because of what they did, the entirety of the body was blessed. Hallelujah. So we prefer one another. Why? Because we love one another. We love one another. This is, you know, think, think about it this way. You know, you got maybe your your immediate family, your immediate family that you love dearly. If, if they succeeded, your kids, whatever, if they succeeded, would you be jealous and envious of them? Shouldn't be, right? No. You, you, your kids, your mom, your dad, whatever, your immediate family, you want them to succeed. So let's take that out of just 
our immediate family and put it into the family of God because this is the way it's supposed to be. The same love, 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 love. To have one for another. Verse tells us that the individual with true biblical love is not puffed up, not arrogant. Real love towards God and real love towards man will cause us to never become inflated with a great sense of our own importance. Look at me. Look at me. Look at how great I am. Okay, listen, I want you to do great, but at the end of the day, you're still just a pinky. Right? I mean, I want you to be the best pinky you can possibly be. But at the end of the day, you're just a pinky. And little, little pinky, if you were all by yourself, how are you going to walk anywhere? Little pinky, how are you going to see? I don't see no eyeballs on that pinky. How are you going to hear? I don't see no ears on that pinky. Come on now. So let's, let's not get puffed up with some great sense of our own importance because true love shouldn't allow us to do that. True love should keep us with an understanding of I am one member of one body. And real love causes us to know that everything that we have is only that which we have received from God and others. Everything we have has been given to us by God or others. Well, you, no, you're wrong. I worked hard for that. All right. Who gave you the breath to work, the ability to work, the mind to work? Yeah. We also know that we don't deserve anything that God or others have given to us. Come on now. We don't deserve it. The moment we start thinking we deserve what we have is the moment we should understand our love is filtering away somewhere. We don't deserve what we have. I don't deserve to stand up here. I don't deserve to pastor this great church. I don't deserve my home. I don't deserve my family, my wonderful wife and kids. I don't deserve the finances God's blessed us with and our cars and whatever on and I don't deserve all of this. It's the hand of the Lord upon us. You don't deserve what you have. No matter what you have, you don't deserve it. <laughs> Am I right? And it's, so it's that place of humility that genuine love can flow from. I don't deserve this. I'm, 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 I'm so thankful just to be in the game. I'm just so thankful to be here. I'm just so thankful to be one part in this big deal. I'm just thankful to be a part of the vision. Wherever you want me, coach, put me in. I'm just thankful to be here. I'm just glad to join arm in arm with my brothers and sisters and accomplish something great for the kingdom of God. I'm just not going to be puffed up. I'm not going to get arrogant about this. If God uses me, I'm not going to get arrogant and puffed up about it. No, I've got too much love for the church and too much love for the body of Christ for me to go off the rails and start thinking I'm some big shot. Oh, hallelujah. Love. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. 
Love does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. English Standard Version says love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love is never rude. It is always polite. Don't run aisles all at once on that one. That's what it says. Love is always courteous to all others. Even to the waitresses and the waiters that don't get your food order right. They're not your servant. <laughs> They're a human being doing a job. Love is not rude. Throw a few pleases and thank you ma'ams and thank you sirs in there. Love is not rough. It's not harsh. It's not abrupt. Oh, this, this talk that says, well, you know me, I just call it like it is. You know, pe people, and we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about it again. But people that, it, sometimes it's, it's like a badge of honor to those people. It's a badge of honor. Well, you know me, I just call it like I see it. Okay, that's not love. Why are you proud about that? That is totally contrary to the word of the Lord. Why are you coming across like it's some great thing? You are disobeying scripture. Why are you happy about it? Why would you want anybody to know you're doing it? Well, you know, I just call a spade a spade, you know, whatever. I just, I, I just tell them what they need to hear. I just speak my mind. I just, whatever needs saying, I say it. That's not love. That's not love. Yes. We need to speak the truth. But what does the Bible say? In love. Most of the time, there's some few outliers I'm sure, but most of the time what offends someone is not what was said. It was how it was said. I just told them. I just told them. I just got down to brass tacks. Just told them like it is. You see, love is never rude. Love is always polite, strives to be polite, courteous, thoughtful, considerate of others. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to us now as a church for a minute. But if this, this will help. This will help us as a church now and as we move forward. But hear me. If, if you need, I understand this church is made up of human beings and flesh, and sometimes there's some conflict. I get that. This isn't a perfect church. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect church. <laughs> so, obviously, there, there's going to be some times when, you know, there, 
there might be a little conflict, there might be a little struggle, there might be some difficulties, whatever, and we got to work it out, and it's okay. It, the Bible gives us how we're supposed to do that because he knew it was going to be in the church because he knew people were going to be in the church. <laughs> and so if you have to have a sensitive conversation, we'll just say it like that, if you have to have a sensitive conversation with someone in the church, let me, let me just give you a bit of advice here. To help you and them and us, all of us, since we're one body. Take some time to think about what you're going to say before you get into the conversation. If you got to get, take notes, take notes. If you got to get three by five cards and write some stuff down, write it down. Listen, think of how, not what, but what and how you're going to say what you need to say in order that everything that leaves your lips is polite and courteous and considerate. But I'll just tell them. Okay, well, see how far that gets. See how far that gets you. So just... Just put a little thought to it. Okay. Yeah, I'm having, you know, I'm having some struggles with the individual. That's fine. But I love them. Right? The struggle shouldn't cause there to be a lack of love. Then you got more problems. And you got bigger problems. Okay. So yeah, you got, you got some struggles, I got some struggles, but I still love them. And because I love them, I want to be polite, I want to be courteous. Yes, I, I want to get certain points across to them. I want them to understand how I feel, but I want to do it in a courteous way. So I'm going to stop for a minute, I'm going to take an hour, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God, God, how can I say this? How can I say this? How can I have this conversation with this individual so that it shows forth my love to them in a manner that is pleasing to you. Is that all right? Love is never rude. Love is always polite. Love seeketh not her own. You can just put that scripture back up. Love seeketh not her own. Now, genuine biblical love is known when, listen now, when our happiness is based more upon the needs of other people being met rather than upon our needs being met. You're thinking on that one, aren't you? Real love doesn't allow for someone to become satisfied simply because they have what they need. Their cares have all been met. Their lives are all going good. So they don't, everything's fine. Everything's fine because everything's fine in their life. And it's fine for them because why? Because they have no thought for anybody else. Right? I'm not saying we can't be happy. I'm not saying we can't be content. I'm not saying we can't 
feel the blessings of the Lord in our lives. But the point is here that seeketh not her own. There's got to be a point in our lives where our thoughts don't always just revolve around us. And about our needs and about our wants and about our wishes. Because if that's the case, then that shows a lack of love. Because if all we're ever doing is looking at self and we're never looking at anybody else in the body of Christ, it's probably because we don't love them. All right. Real love, you know it when someone else gets blessed, when somebody has a breakthrough in their family and a blessing in their family, they get a this, that, or the other, and you feel genuinely Happy for them. Genuinely happy for them. I am thrilled for you. I am so thankful. The blessings of the Lord. I'm so thankful that that's when you're going to know that you've got the love that God wants you to have. When you are genuinely grateful and thankful for the blessings of others. The advancements of others. Somebody else gets, you know, that ministry or promoted to the leadership, whatever, whatever. And you are genuinely happy for them. Genuinely happy for them. It's not, I am so happy for you. (laughs) There's genuine happiness. That's love. That's love. Everybody good? Wow. Clock went fast. I am hurry. Love is not easily provoked. It is not irritated. It is not made, that, that means it is not made sour or bitter or angry. I realize, I realize that, listen, that God gave us the emotion of anger. Right? We have that because it was instilled into us by God. We didn't put it there. He put it there. But it is only used or supposed to be used to combat unrighteousness. We are to be angry against unrighteousness. That anger against unrighteousness should move us to act and move us to action against that which is unrighteous. It is not to be used because someone cuts us off in the highway. It's not to be used because somebody, you know, doesn't shake our hand or somebody says a, maybe what we would consider to be a cross word in the foyer after church. It's not supposed to be used. It, that, that is not supposed to rise up so quickly. Oh, hallelujah. When somebody says something to us that we don't like or because someone does something to us that we don't like, I think it is important to know. Now, this, this is... I want you to see this. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. It's important that you know that the word easily there was never in the original writings. Because the original writing simply says that true love is not provoked. It's, it was never in the original writing for the word easily there. And that only makes sense for then 
what would the criteria for easily be? Come on, I need your minds for a little bit. Who determines what's easily? So if it takes me five minutes of confrontation to throw the plate across the room, and it takes you 10 minutes of confrontation before you throw the plate across the room, then are you obedient to that verse? Because you weren't as easily provoked as I was? Well, pastor, I, I held it in for a long time. <laughs> but they just kept coming after me. And then I lost it on them, pastor. And I screamed at them, pastor. And I tore into them, pastor. But I was obedient to the verse. Because I held it in a long time. It wasn't easy. I wasn't easily provoked. It was a good 15 minutes. I let them go. I let them go. But then I let them have it. But I wanted to make sure I was obedient to the word of the Lord before I threw that plate. <laughs> no, 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 no. True love is not provoked. True love doesn't get to that place. True love does not allow us to get to that place where we are yelling and screaming and being rude and being insensitive and destructive with our words and with our actions. Now listen, come on. I mean, we all struggle with this from time to time. You know, individuals say, well, well, that's just who I am. And they knew who I was when they married me. They knew who I was when they married me. They knew my attitude. They knew this. They knew that. No, again, you're bragging about being disobedient to the word of the Lord. It's not a badge of honor. It, like, requires you need to probably go to the altar. All that, that, is, all that is showing you is that is a part of your life that you have not allowed the regenerating power of the Holy Ghost to work in. It's a part of your life you've not allowed the love of God to penetrate. So let's not be prideful about some of this, of our confrontational spirit and our confrontational attitude because those outbursts are merely showing us that we have spiritually a little ways to go in that particular area of love in our life. And we need love to gird up those loose and potentially destructive parts of our life. We need love, love. Guard my tongue, guard my heart, guard my attitude, guard what I say, guard my actions. I don't want to just fly off the handle. I don't want to scream and yell. I don't, I don't want me and my spouse to have knock down, drag out fights and scream in fights. And so the neighbor's got to pound on our door and tell us to be quiet. We're supposed to be Christians. Come on now. Did I touch a little close to home to somebody right there? Now listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying we're all here. I'm saying this is where God wants us to be. This is where we're supposed to strive to be like. I'm hurrying. I, it's not, I, I know what time it is. 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. What does that mean? It means this. Love does not keep a ledger. Of wrongs. I'm going to just hurry. It does not keep a ledger of wrongs. 
Okay, you did this on March 14th, June. And you, 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 I got your book right here. Your book's right here. You did this, this. No. Love does not keep a ledger of wrongs. I, so I got to tell the story. I know what time it is. <laughs> so we might have told this story before, but keep talking about keeping a, a ledger of wrongs. Beginning of our marriage, we're having a little bit of a discussion. Not quite to the point where the neighbors have to come. But we're, we're, we're having a conversation. And, uh, and so I brought out the ledger. And you did this. And, she, and so I'm just mad and she's mad. I'm upset. And I bring out the ledger. And she said, she said, oh, are you raking up old leaves? Now raise your hand if you've ever heard raking up old leaves. Two people in the whole house. She said, oh, you're raking up old leaves. And I'm like upset, but I'm like. And it struck me like so funny. What? Raking up, what does that even mean? Raking up, I'm not outside. What are you talking about? So then I think we started laughing, and that was the end of that particular discussion. There were more after that. But uh, raking up old leaves. So it just means, yeah, you know, you keeping a ledger, going back to old leaves that were already falling, and you're raking them all back up. Uh, anyway, that wasn't in my notes. So don't keep a ledger and don't rake up old leaves. 1 Corinthians 13, 6, almost done. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. Now listen. Now, don't raise your hand, but is there anybody in the room who ever slightly smiled or gave a little fist bump when you heard that something negative happened to someone who did you wrong. Come on now. Yeah, not like major stuff, but just. Why, why do we, what do we, and what do we say? Serves them right. Right? Serves them right. They got what they deserved. I think it's possible that all of us at some point in our life might have been there. But the book is telling us true love shouldn't feel that way. True love would rather us rejoice that the person who did the wrong is now walking in truth. Walking in wisdom. Walking in obedience to the word of the Lord so that they'll never do or say those things again that they did or said to us. Instead of rejoicing that something negative has happened to them. True love wants to see people changed, not punished. True love wants to see people grow, not penalized. True love wants to see people learn from their mistakes, not hurt because of their mistakes. First Corinthians 13, 7. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We're going to fly now. 
beareth all things. This is a, this, this is a phrase that speaks to the idea. It's, it's a pretty powerful thing. I wish I had time. But it, it speaks to the idea of putting up an umbrella and inviting someone else to join you so that they may, they may get out of the cold, driving rain. In other words, our love towards others causes us to protect them from as much as we possibly can that could ever come against them. Listen now, and let me explain. Protect them, hide their faults as much as possible. Hide their failures as much as possible. Now listen, I'm not saying we sweep them under the rug. I'm saying what it's saying is that we are going to biblically and lovingly deal with their struggles in such a way so that nobody else needs to know we're dealing with them. The whole church doesn't need to know. There's only a handful of people that are close to that individual that need to know that we're helping them and that we're dealing with them. And we need to protect that individual so that nobody else needs to know it. Oh, hallelujah. So that once they are corrected and they have submitted themselves to the plan of restoration and regeneration, once they've done that, they can still have a positive reputation in the church. I've had people in the church tell me that we didn't handle things correctly. We heard so-and-so did this and we heard so-and-so did that and, and you didn't handle that correctly. And they knew some failures or some whatevers and you didn't deal with that. You didn't handle that. And my question to them is this. How do you know what I did? Do you, are you with me 24 hours a day? Do you know every single phone call I made this week? Do you know every meeting that I took at the church this week? Do you know every single conversation that I had this week? And if you don't know, <laughs> zip it. Because listen, if you, you obviously are the last one that needs to know because you're the one asking the question. So you're the last one I'm going to tell. But here's the point. If you don't know and they don't know and they don't know and they don't know and they don't know, guess what? We're doing our jobs biblically and correctly. That's kind of the point. I don't want you to know. <laughs> And, you know, and some people get a little, you know, riled up about that until they're the ones that have the failure. Until they're, they're babies that are now, you know, 18, 32, whatever, are the ones who make the mistake. And then they are so grateful. Thank you so much, Pastor. You handled that beautifully. That was just beautiful what you did. Nobody knew about it, and you handled it and helped them so much. And they came through that, and they're doing good now, and nobody even knows about it. Oh, that was wonderful. I was like, yeah, what about the other guy? Why was it wrong for them but right for you? So anyway, so that's what that's talking about. Believeth all things simply means we're not going to always live in suspicion of other people. And we are going, we're not going to believe 
every little negative thing about an individual that comes across the line. That's what it's talking about. Believeth all things. Because we love them, we're going to believe the best of them. That's what it's talking about. Because you love them, you're going to believe the best of them. How many know that we could hear one little negative thing about an individual that we don't even know? And the next time we see them and we're introduced to them, we've already built this whole persona of that individual. We already know them. Well, oh, I heard this and I heard that. Because of one thing. But the word of the Lord says, listen, if you truly love, you're not going to believe that stuff. And you're going to stop talking to people who are telling you those things. Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Everybody say, hopeth all things. This is the optimism of love. That in spite of all appearances, I'm going to hope for the best for that person. I know it doesn't look good right now. I know it looks like they're struggling. I know it doesn't, their marriage and their kids and whatever. And I know it doesn't. But you know what? I'm going to hope for the best for that individual. Because we love them, we hope for the best for them. In prayer and spiritual expectation, hoping for the best of them. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, and I'm done. This simply means, stand, stand. This simply means that the love we have one towards another is going to endure all things. So what does that mean? It means this. When we go through rough times, when we go through difficult times, when we go through night seasons in our life, what we're going through is not going to dictate the love we have one for another. It's just going to endure. As we fight the fight, as we battle the battle, as we go through loss, as we go through whatever we're going through, we are going to continue to have love one for another in the body of Christ. Somebody said amen. Could you lift your hands? Lift your hands. Let's just thank the Lord for his word tonight. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor and praise. We give you glory and honor and praise. God, give us revelation of love like we've never had it before. Help us, God, to love the body of Christ.